Manitoba, rates of type 2 diabetes in youth are more than 20 times the national average. Many of these young people will go on to develop complications that will have enormous impact on their health and their well-being. Researchers across the province are working with Indigenous communities to try and stem the tide of this epidemic, with more and more Indigenous scientists and scholars joining the fight. I'm Krista Lamb, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm talking to Taylor Morisot, a PhD candidate who is studying the molecular mechanisms underlying youth onset type 2 diabetes at the Children's Hospital Research Institute of Manitoba. Taylor's work focuses on how traditional Indigenous foods may prevent or delay type 2 diabetes in youth. She's a passionate advocate and role model for Indigenous youth, and I'm so pleased to welcome her on the show today. It's so great to have you here. Tansy Bujou, thank you for having me. And we've been really lucky this season because we've talked to a number of members of the Dream Team. Um, for those not familiar, that's Diabetes Research Envisioned and Achieved in Manitoba. And you are a very big part of that team, and so I wanted to ask you a little bit about what influenced you to work with them. I was immediately drawn to DREAM, um, as you mentioned, because it is a really interdisciplinary team that is not just basic scientists, it's not just clinicians, and it's it's really a coming together of Indigenous community, Indigenous scholars, as well as the clinicians who are you know behind the diagnosis and the treatment, as well as the researchers who are leading the way and trying to find the next um, preventative uh, treatment for these youth. And so it was a no-brainer for me to um, join the dream team and I mean I've just benefited ever since and I'm so lucky to be there and and especially in Manitoba which is where I wanted to be and and with the communities that I wanted to serve so uh, I'm just enthralled to be a a part of the dream team. And did you grow up in Manitoba? I did so uh, I'm born and raised in Manitoba. My I belong to Pegwis First Nation which is uh, just north of of Winnipeg the city center and then I, I work obviously in uh, downtown Winnipeg now and I currently live just east of the city and so I kind of maintain my roots as best I can um, all across this beautiful province and the beautiful prairies so yeah and it's kind of it's very interesting to me because you get to do some work with Christine Doucette um, who was on the show recently and she's a basic scientist, a discovery level scientist, and she's looking a lot at indigenous diet and the way that it affects your body sort of on the molecular level and the cellular level. And so can you tell us a little bit about the work that you guys are doing together? Because I know you're very much a part of that project. Yeah, so the the work that we're doing um, with regards to traditional indigenous diets and how it influences um, disease onset or how it could be used as a um, potential intervention in diabetes is one of my passion projects. And I've spent a lot of time looking at the you know, protein content of moose meat versus the protein content and carbohydrate content of, of various modern foods and how um, potentially this could actually be used as an intervention on a specific genetic background, which is um, the HNF1-alpha G319S variant, which is specific to indigenous um, populations in Manitoba, and how actually this variant might um, allow people to better utilize fats and proteins. And so this traditional diet intervention is actually something that makes a lot of sense. And uh, not only sense in the respect of this genetic variant, but also a lot of culturally sensitive um, interventions that are might actually work. We're not trying to force drugs or other mechanisms that we know don't align really well with community priorities. Um, but we talk and we're in, in close contact with um, the indigenous communities who are affected. And traditional foods is something that just makes sense. 
And if we can show on a molecular level that fats and, and proteins, which are abundant in traditional foods, and in this genetic background can actually be beneficial, it's just a seamless transition into um, trying to lobby for dip changes in policy and access to these foods, which the community is already lobbying for. So that's, uh, that's the angle that we're taking with this, this project. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about the Dream Team and about the work that's being done in Manitoba is that it's so multidisciplinary. Mm -hmm. So you're in the lab and you're looking at, you know, the makeup of these proteins, but you're not doing it in the in a vacuum. You're not doing it in a silo. You also get to work with clinicians who are working in the community. You get to work with patients. You get to work with elders. You get to work with so many people who all play a really important role. And I think sometimes we have this idea that the basic scientist it's kind of locked in the, the lab and, and not really seeing all the other people, but you guys have really created a different model. And how do you like working in that model? I honestly didn't realize how fortunate I was until I went elsewhere. I mean, I started my PhD in this dream team. And now that I've seen other models, like you said, the, it's incredible to, to have clinicians that I can turn to and ask, you know, human ethics questions or to have basic scientists who are really working at the bench and have pioneered so many amazing techniques that are at my disposal as well, but also to have everybody um, on the same level when it comes to understanding cultural safety. We've done a lot of training in our institute, regardless of your clinician, basic scientist, everybody is on the same level of understanding when it comes to um, colonialism, when it comes to influences on diabetes. And so we have this really in-depth knowledge that informs our research questions. And I think that's so important because we can try and tackle this disease from a quantitative approach and take that lens. But by bringing in everybody, we really have a better understanding of what is a very complex disease to begin with. So I think it's, like you said, not doing this in a vacuum is allowing to answer us to answer these really complex questions from a lot of different angles, which is, I think, ultimately how we're going to find the, the solution. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, too, the need for systemic change, and that's policy change, and, and all of those things that, you know, don't really happen in the lab. But is that something that you feel passionate about being a part of, or that you're interested in being a part of as you move this forward? Definitely. Uh, it's funny that you asked that, because as I, I started my PhD at the bench, I've really started to transition that into um, lobbying for change and, and going to Parliament Hill and advocating for things that I never thought I'd have the ability to do, but I'm actually backed with the evidence that, you know, I helped to create. So that's quite um, exciting as, as even just a PhD student to take something that you're starting to understand in the lab to policy changes and to making um, an actual change. It'll be slow. I'm not saying that <laughs> policies, uh, you know, very slow to change, but I think by having that kind of breadth of expertise and being able to talk to different audiences and to have that kind of understanding from both community and from the lab bench, that's um, really impactful when we're trying to, to, to say what needs to be done and to move this forward and to, to make um, solutions a reality in these communities. So, uh, yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's really funny for me um, because you're so early in your career and you've done so much in this. It's just... I look at you and I'm like, you're such an amazing role model because, oh my gosh, like, and I'm going to read this because I don't want to get it all wrong. One of Canada's most powerful women, you were nominated this year, or won that this year. Mm -hmm. You made the top 30 under 30. You've earned a Vanier scholarship. You've done so much so far in a really young career. And, and so I feel like 
like changing the world is a very like it seems like you can manage that too. <laughs> you've got you. a really good runway for that and so what are you sort of most proud of so far in all of that and you know as you move forward into this sort of next phase of your career yeah it's so funny like I never of course when I started PhD thought that I would gain these recognitions and it's just what I'm you know proud of is just following my own passion and and regardless of whether there's a job at the end of the you know, at, at the end of all of this, I just realized that I have to keep following what I'm passionate about. And that's really the next generation of Indigenous youth who deserve to live a life unburdened by disease. And so if that comes with these awards and recognitions, that's fantastic. But I'm just doing what I feel is right. And um, and so obviously I'm thankful for, for having such incredible kind of awards come my way. Um, but it's it's all kind of icing on the cake for me. And it's really working in the place that I get to work with the people that I get to work with, which is bread and butter. And that's why I love what I do. So. Well, yeah. And I, I think you touch on something there and that is the chance to do something, you know, that really helps indigenous youth moving forward. And so you are sort of a role model within your community. And how do you feel about that? And what, and you know, because that's, you know, on some levels, it's amazing to be a role model, but it's also a little bit of pressure. It is. It's it's tough being, I mean, for me, I'm the only one to pursue post-secondary education in my family, uh, in my community. We're having more and more Indigenous youth um, pursue post-secondary. And so it's great to see these things, but as it's to blaze that trail is a little bit um, stressful at times and that pressure does start to add up but I think like I said as long as I stay true to my values and stay true to to trying to make things better for the next generation I mean there'll there'll be faults along the way but um it's just staying true to myself and what I believe in so being a role model also comes with getting to be a mentor and so I've been really fortunate to mentor um incredible you know, Indigenous youth who are coming behind me and who I'm just trying to make this space better for and, and let them also lead the way because it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not just going to be me. Um, there's a lot of youth who are brilliant and, and not only pursuing education, but pursuing a lot of different things in the communities that all together are going to make us stronger and better so and healthier, hopefully. Yeah, and I think that for a lot of young people especially, we need role models in the communities and so that people see themselves as they, you know, make the decisions about what they're going to do. I was talking to um, a researcher recently who talked about the fact that she didn't go to med school until she was 29 because she had no role models in her community um, that said, hey, a woman from your background could do this. And so I think that we underestimate how important that is to young people moving forward. So I think it's really great that, that they have people like you who are doing this. Thank you. I, I have that, uh, that same feeling about not having enough role models currently. So, I mean, whatever I can do, whatever I can, whatever platform uh, I have, it's, it's really advocating for those to come. And so the next little while is working on continuing this work with Dr. Doucette um, and yourself in the lab. What do you see as the next phase? You've talked a little bit about maybe working in policy, but do you, what would you like to see for the future? That's a great question. Um, I love my current project and I'm, I'm only actually about halfway through, so there's a lot of work to be done in, in my PhD yet and to, to really unravel some of those molecular mechanisms uh, where we're moving into these kind of large-scale unbiased techniques that will give us this global view of, of cells and really generate more hypotheses. So it's a never-ending project that I'm, I'm really fortunate to have um, a hand in. 
but my, my future goals, um, with the traditional diet studies, with having, um, some of those results hopefully influence policy and put that in the hands of indigenous organizations. Um, I really want to move into kind of taking that knowledge on the bench and putting it into practice. And so I don't have, like I said, I don't have a great idea of where I want to be and whether or not there's a job at the end of this, but I know that by taking what I've learned from both this project and, and past projects, for example, in water security, um, making Indigenous communities healthier and happier in some sort of policy or um, practice, practical way, that's that's my goal. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think those are really great goals, and I think that you are definitely in the right space with the members of the Dream Team to do that. And I think for anybody who hasn't listened to the episodes with um, Dr. Brandley Wicklow and Dr. Christine Doucette, and we've also talked to Dr. John McGavick over the years about the work that's being done in Manitoba, it is really exciting. Uh, we also talked to Larry Krotz, who is the author of the book Diagnosing the Legacy, which talks a lot about the work of Dr. Heather Dean, who really started and brought the Dream Team together in many ways, and the work that's being done in Manitoba. So for you, I think um, there's so many things that we could talk about. And I wanted to ask you what your advice is for other Indigenous youth who are considering pursuing a higher education. And we talked a little bit about role models, but I wanted to know what do you say to them when they come to you and ask you what you think about the future and what they should, whether they should pursue higher education or other things? It's a tricky question because post-secondary education is a fantastic in so many ways and it's opened so many doors for me. And I obviously love what I do, and I'm really passionate about research and learning and education. Uh, it's not the path for everyone. There's a lot of um, understanding that needs to be done when it comes to um, racism in higher education, especially anti-Indigenous racism is prevalent at a lot of institutions. And so being in higher education is not necessarily a safe space to be currently. And there's a lot of amazing people, especially at the University of Manitoba, who are working to change that. But we have to acknowledge that it might not be the best option for, for youth who are coming up. So it's really understanding what uh, Indigenous youth are excelling in, whether that be sports or working in the community or giving back in ways that might not mean having to have that PhD degree. Um, of course, that's my expertise, so that's where uh, you know I can provide the best mentorship. But there are so many different ways. Being out on the land, um, that's something that needs to be maintained. Learning the language, that's something that takes a really long commitment. Um, that doesn't mean going to school, but that means maybe sitting with your elders for a long time and learning that language. So cultural restoration is not going to happen in a classroom. It's, it's it'll happen on the land and in the community. And so being um, kind of at that interface and being able to to help any youth that come to me and want to pursue education, obviously making the space that I'm currently in a, a safer space to be is really important to me so that they don't have to face that racism. But also if they don't want to go to, you know, post-secondary education, we're not forcing anybody to do that. Uh, obviously providing the best means and scholarships and everything that we can. But I think having that understanding is really important and learning from the land as well. And I think that's actually really wise in many ways, because I think that we forget, um, because, you know, when we're sort of in the academia um, space, that it's not necessarily the path for everyone, and that's not right or wrong, um, that you can create amazing opportunities in many other ways and in many other spaces. So I kind of like the idea of not, you know, that you can choose your own path. Mm, exactly. And and I think it's just allowing youth to, to choose that path. And 
hopefully that they're healthy enough to do so. And so that's kind of what we're trying to, to lead towards is having youth that are just healthy enough to make that choice. And they don't have to, you know, be so burdened by the things like diabetes and so that they can um, ultimately decide on what they want to do and have the, uh, the means to do so. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for talking about this on the show with us today. I really appreciate having you on. This has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, please share them with Diabetes Canada at info at diabetes.ca. You can also visit diabetes.ca or follow Diabetes Canada on all our social media channels. And if you like today's episode, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or the podcast provider of your choice. Thanks for listening.